Brothers and sisters, please open with me in God's Word to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, here we turn this weekend to the book of Psalms and come to the psalm that according to the title above it, or the superscription before it, is called a psalm of thanksgiving. And I hope that everyone here was able to enjoy your Thanksgiving Day celebrations as you gather together with family and friends, were able to eat and spend some time together. Most of us are familiar with the first Thanksgiving meal in our nation. Back in November of 1621, where the new uh, pilgrims that had arrived in this land celebrated the harvest of food with the Wampanoag natives. And it was our first president, George Washington, who proclaimed a national day of public thanksgiving and prayer back in 1789. And then exactly 74 years later, the president, Abraham Lincoln, again proclaimed a day of thanksgiving in 1863, which is continued and annually ever since. But it was in this proclamation from Lincoln where he said these words, No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. Oh, how wonderful it is to be reminded of our nation's history and to be thankful for the leaders that God has given us in His providence. This is a holiday that has continued then in America ever since. But America is not the first nation to give thanks to God or to celebrate a time of thanksgiving because the nation of Israel would also regularly give thanks to God, which is why God gave his people a psalm, this psalm of thanksgiving in Psalm 100. And since this psalm has been so richly been beloved by God's people over the centuries, it is likely the most commonly sung psalm by God's people throughout church history, certainly since the time of the Reformation. 
where it has often been simply referred to as the old one hundredths. So with this in mind, then, let us read together Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Brothers and sisters, before we continue, let us again approach God in prayer. Oh, Father. Even after celebrating a time of thanksgiving in our nation together with family and friends, may we hear from your word about true thanksgiving through this psalm. So, Father, speak to us through your word. May your spirit be at work among us to not only understand your truth, but that it will indeed revive our hearts and lead us to rejoice in worship because of who you are, because of all you've done for us in Jesus Christ. So, Father, may you use these words to save sinners and to sanctify saints. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what are we reminded of then as we read and sing the 100th Psalm? It's that our worship is filled with thanksgiving because of who God is. Because of who God is, we worship God filled with thanksgiving. See, it's twice in this psalm there is a call to worship that is then followed by our confirmation in worship. So there is the call to worship where we are invited into God's presence to worship Him with thanksgiving. And then it comes to our confirmation in worship where we praise God with thanksgiving for who He is as we worship. So Psalm 100 is composed of two parallel musical stanzas for us to sing before God with thanksgiving. May we then see the beauty of the psalm as it repeats itself here in these verses. So we'll look at verses 1 to 3 where we find the first stanza of this psalm of thanksgiving, followed in verses 4 to 5 with really the second stanza of the psalm of thanksgiving. So let's begin by considering of this psalm or this song, the first stanza in verses 1 to 3. And here we see immediately that in the first two verses we're invited to worship together three times. Right? Shout to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Come before His presence. These three invitations 
to worship God. And notice what we bring then with us as we worship Him. There is a shout to the Lord with joy. There is serving the Lord with gladness. There is coming before His presence with singing. Joy, gladness, and singing are involved in our worship of God. And who is invited to, to into God's presence to worship Him? But all you lands, or all the earth. Because God's Old Testament people, Israel, are here calling out the nations to join with them in their worship of God. See, God is not merely a tribal deity who's only concerned with His own people, Israel, but He is the Lord of all. And so all are invited into His presence to worship Him. Because all the peoples of the world will not find satisfaction in life or reach our purpose in life until we respond to this call from the Lord to worship Him with reverence and awe. Now let's take a closer look at how each of these three invitations build on one another. So again, the first invitation is that we shout to the Lord. This word describes how subjects would respond to the coming of their king. And so we hear we have this loud rejoicing and celebration of God as our king. So we express our thankfulness to him who is our divine king. Now we need not be charismatics to have this kind of loud and boisterous singing in our worship. Of course, our worship must not be artificial to simply be loud for loudness sake. But a heart filled with joy, it will express itself as you sing. It's, it's not going to quietly recite words of praise from a hymnal or a screen, will it? But it will loudly shout to the Lord. So we shout to the Lord. But then secondly, we serve the Lord. Because as our king, God deserves our service and submission to his lordship over us. This means obeying his word and carrying out his will in this world. Listen, our God is not a hard or a harsh taskmaster who's in heaven, whipping us through threats or miseries so that we will follow Him or bow before Him. No, He is loving and gracious. As the psalm reminds us, so that serving Him is our pleasure. So we shout to the Lord, we serve the Lord, and then third, we come before His presence. I mean, let's reflect for a moment on how amazing this invitation is. Our sin separates us from God as we live in rebellion against Him by living selfish and sinful lives. However, God doesn't leave us to face His judgment of wrath. He encourages us to approach His throne. And He welcomes us into His heavenly presence for us to worship Him. Oh, what a undeserved, 
privilege and honor we have. And this is what we do then when we gather together as God's people to worship Him as a church. That we come before His presence. How easy it can be, though, for us to lose sight of this awesome truth. That when this church assembles together, however many or however few of us there may be, God promises to be with us. Which means He is present with us here right now. And we come before God's presence every Lord's Day when our church meets together in a weekly worship service. So when we bring these three invitations together, Michael Whitlock points out that our worship includes the expression of our words, shout to the Lord, the obedience of our deeds, serve the Lord, and the desire of our hearts, come before His presence. All of this is involved in our call to worship. But again, what does this worship of God involve from us? Well, again, the the call to worship is accompanied by these three elements, joy, gladness, and singing. Because we shout with joy. Our hearts are filled with cheer and delight as we declare God's glory among the nations. So this shouting is not simply a religious performance of something we, we, we do week from week, week to week, but it is a heart-filled rejoicing. So we shout with joy and we serve with gladness because we are grateful to God and gladly devote our lives to serving Him. See, our service to God is not a burden. It's a blessing. And we want to worship God and to follow Him. So we shout with joy, we serve with gladness, and we come with singing. How else could we come into the Lord's presence than through singing God's praises as we do? This is why God made His image bearers singers. We are all singers, however good we may be with our vocals. And we sing in God's presence as His people. Listen then to how the great church father Augustine speaks of singing to the Lord in worship. Augustine writes, How freely was I made to weep by these hymns and spiritual songs, transported by the voice of the congregation sweetly singing. The melody of their voices filled my ear, and divine truth was poured into my heart. Then burned the flame of sacred devotion in my soul, and gushing tears flowed from my eyes, as well they might. What a description we have of one who is overwhelmed of the Lord blessing His church as we gather together in worship. May this also then be true of us in our church as we gather together. 
as God's people in worship. But don't miss why we offer this worship to God. There's a connection between the call to worship and our confirmation in worship. We offer this worship to God because of who He is. You see, true worship is not simply about the moving of our emotions or about feeling spiritually connected with God. But it is an intelligent worship where we know who we worship and why we worship Him. This is why doctrine matters, because we can't worship who we don't know. And isn't it strange then, as we consider how many Americans celebrate Thanksgiving, how rarely they think of who they are giving thanks to. But the truth is that God created us to worship Him. We are all created to be worshipers, yet our worship is corrupted in our sin. And so there are many ways that people in this world practice their worship, right? There's various religions, there's different forms of spirituality and practices. But even Christians can engage in this kind of worship as we follow the world's ways. And as we do whatever we find pleasing to ourselves in worship. Listen, true worship is knowing God. It's the result of knowing God. And our knowledge of God comes from His revelation of Himself to us. In Scripture. Which is why, then, we read that we we, we sing these words, Know that the Lord, He is God. And this knowing of the Lord is more than a mere awareness of who God is. It is also an acknowledgement, an affirmation, an adoration of who He is. You see, our worship is the bringing together of our minds, of our hearts, and of our wills when we come into His presence as His people. And as there were three invitations for us to worship God, here there are also three reasons then why God is worthy of our worship. Right? He, know that the Lord, He is God. One, He, it is He who has made us. Two, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Three, but don't miss the name of the Lord in this psalm. Again, in our English translations, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is how we read God's covenant name, Yahweh. The name that God revealed to His people through Moses when He separated them from the nations to become His chosen people. See, it is this God and this God alone who is our covenant Lord, who we know is God, which means that all other gods in this world are idols, and anything else that we place above God in our lives is profane worship. And how is 
this one true God unique? Well, it is He who has made us. Now, for many interpreters, this refers to God then as our Creator. After all, God created the word ex nihilo, out of nothing. You know, when we create things, we create things out of stuff that already exists, right? But God created all things from nothing. There was no stuff that he used, but he brought into existence everything that is. And then he formed us and fashioned us in his image out of the dust of the ground. That's why we are his image bearers, his mankind. And that whatever people or ethnic group we belong to, he is the one who has made us. So we are not our own creators. And we cannot explain our existence through evolutionary process or anything else in nature. But we are completely dependent on God, which is why we owe Him our allegiance in worship. But I believe that this psalm is actually speaking of more than our creation. Because when Israel would have sung this psalm, they would have remembered how God made them His people. So this is referring to God's sovereign election of his own people, which is why on this side of the cross, the Apostle Paul declares that we are his workmanship in Ephesians 2.10. And as God's workmanship, we cannot claim credit for ourselves. That we are not self-made men or women in this world unless you're talking about us as sinners who deserve God's judgment against us. But God has made us his own by grace alone, not by anything in in us or because of anything that we have done. And since he has made us his own, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So through Scripture, this relationship between God and His people is often pictured as a shepherd with His sheep. That's why the beginning of Psalm 23 begins how? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now we're all familiar with how the safety and well-being of sheep depend on their shepherd. Sheep, after all, are prone to wander. And wolves are ready to pounce and devour sheep who are not protected. Which is why they need a shepherd. And who then feeds and nourishes his sheep who are under his care. So God has made us his people. And he continues caring for us as his people who remain dependent on him, both for our provision and our protection. God is our shepherd who feeds our souls through his word, who guides us through his spirit in wisdom, and who tends to our care through his church. What a precious picture then we're given to us of our relationship with God as our shepherd. 
See, when we know who God is, that's why our worship is filled with thanksgiving. That we shout to the Lord with joy, that we serve Him with gladness and come before His presence with singing because of who He is. He is God who has created us as His people and who cares for us as our shepherd. Let us then praise Him with thanksgiving. But this then brings us from the first stanza of the psalm to the second stanza of the psalm of thanksgiving, which is given in verses 4 to 5. And here the pattern is repeated with a call to worship God, followed by our confirmation in worship of who God is. And like the previous stanza, this second call to worship includes three invitations. You see the parallels? The three invitations are to enter into his gates and courts, be thankful to him, and bless his name. But notice how we are to enter into worship. With thanksgiving and with praise. These really shouldn't be separated since they are used interchangeably here. Giving thanks means praising God, and praising God includes thanksgiving. So do you see how the Christian life is one of giving thanks to God for who He is and for all that we receive from His hand? This is why the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God in Christ Jesus for us is to give thanks in everything. So our thanksgiving is more than simply saying thank you to God when He gives us good things. But thanksgiving is an expression of gratitude towards God in both good times and bad as we appreciate who He is and recognize that He is working all things together for our good. So like we did before, let us briefly look closer at these three invitations to worship in verse 4. First, we enter into his gates and his courts. Now these are the gates and courts of the temple in Jerusalem, the place where God gave Israel to meet with him in worship. So this is where God graciously allowed his people to offer their sacrifices as an offering of worship to him. If you want, you can turn with me to Leviticus chapter 7. Because in Leviticus 7 verses 11 to 14, we read of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which God has given his people. And it may very well be that this psalm was meant to be sung when, God, uh, when, when God's people offered this sacrifice of peace offering to him in the temple. That's what many Jews have come to see, that this psalm, Psalm 100, would be sung when this offering from Leviticus 7 was carried out in the temple. So let's read Leviticus 7, verses 11 to 14. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. 
If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. So do you see how God invites his people into his presence, here represented by the temple, to worship him with thanksgiving? Which is why, not only then is there the invitation to enter into his gates and his courts, but also then to be thankful to him. Do you see how our worship should be filled with thankfulness? See, we don't worship God for what we get out of it. But we worship God to thank him for his greatness and for his generosity towards us. In other words, our worship is not self-centered, but it's God-centered. And this thankfulness is a corporate act of worship. Of course, it's good to thank God privately when we pray, or to thank God together as a family as we come together in worship. But the Christian life is meant to be lived together in a local church. Which is why the Thanksgiving here involves the entire body of Christ gathered together to give thanks to God. So we enter into His gates and His courts. We're thankful to Him. And then the third invitation is given is to bless His name. Now, names don't mean much today. We simply choose whatever name we think sounds nice when we have children. But in the ancient world, a name described the person that was given his or her name. See, a name would represent the person, which is why in Scripture, God's name represents God himself, which means that blessing God's name means honoring and revering who God is. This is why when Jesus taught us to pray, the very first request of the Lord's Prayer is, Hallowed be thy name, or may your name be honored as holy. And so Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, Spurgeon comments on this verse, he blessed you, bless him in return. Bless his name, his character, his person. Whatever he does, be sure that you bless him for it. Bless him when uh, he takes away as well as when he gives. Bless him as long as you live under all circumstances. Bless him in all his attributes from whatever point of view you consider him. Bless his name. So again, these three invitations here given in the second call to worship. 
But as the psalm has already shown us, our worship of God is the result of our remembering and rejoicing in who he is. And so we again move from this threefold call to worship to a threefold recognition of our glorious God as we confirm who he is. And there's three call, there's the three invitations followed by three attributes of God that are here highlighted that we sing together in this psalm. So in verse 5, what do we sing first about him? But that the Lord is good. He is good. You know, many people believe the Lord exists. We come to worship him when we know that the Lord who exists is good. And Louis Burkhoff, in one of my favorite systematic theologies, explains the goodness of God in this way when he writes that since God is good in himself, he's also good for his creatures and may therefore be called the fountain of all good. All the good things which creatures enjoy in the present and expect in the future flow to them out of this inexhaustible fountain. Oh, God is this inexhaustible fountain of good. What a blessing it is then to reflect upon and rejoice in the goodness of God, who is the fountain of all good. So we sing that the Lord is good, and then we also sing that God's mercy is everlasting. Our God is holy and righteous and just. But this doesn't mean that he's cold and uncaring towards us. God loves us and is compassionate towards us. Which is why his mercy will not change. And it will never end. His mercy is everlasting. That's why we have these wonderfully reassuring words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, verses 38 to 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, to know that nothing separates us from the love of God. That His mercy is everlasting. So we sing that the Lord is good. We sing that His mercy is everlasting. But then finally we sing third, that God's truth endures. And it endures to all generations. That when we sing of God's truth, this then means that both that it's not false and that it is trustworthy. Because what God says is true and will not fail. Which means that we can trust in His Word. That He is faithful and God's promises are trustworthy and true. 
So in the midst of the storms of our lives, God's truth is the anchor that we can depend on to weather the storm and to keep our souls safe through the struggles and suffering of this world. And when we face the challenges of the present and the uncertainty of the future, we can have confidence that His truth endures. Which is why His Word is preserved for us and continues to speak to us of God and His love for us through Jesus Christ. And it's this truth then that endures from generation to generation. Again, I love to quote Spurgeon. Spurgeon writes, As our fathers found him faithful, so will our sons and their seed forever. Which is why we teach the next generation the truths of God's Word. We teach our children and our grandchildren the truths of God's Word. Because we know that it will remain steadfast and sure, no matter how much the world changes or what may come our way. But His truth endures to all generations. Do you see then how both stanzas of this psalm remind us that our worship is filled with thanksgiving because of who God is? Well, because of who God's because of who God is. Let our worship be filled with thanksgiving. But brothers and sisters, we're not done yet. Because as we consider this song that God's people are to sing, the question remains, how can we sing this song? And how can we worship this God filled with thanksgiving. And of course, the answer for us is Jesus Christ. Because the psalm is not only a song that we sing, but it is a prophecy that has been fulfilled. It's Jesus Christ who fulfills this psalm so we can worship God with thanksgiving. It is Jesus Christ who comes into this world as a man and takes our place as He lives the righteous life we refuse to live. And it takes upon Himself the very condemnation of judgment we deserve. As He hangs on the cross for us and pours out His blood in death of his love for us. It is then this salvation from the wrath of God that brings us the forgiveness of our sins so that we receive eternal life and can sing Psalm 100 with thankful hearts. Because it's through the coming of Christ our King 
that all the nations of the earth are saved and make a joyful shout to the Lord. It's through Christ that we are empowered by His Holy Spirit to serve the Lord with gladness. It's through Christ that we are reconciled with God and are able to come before His presence in singing. It is through Christ that we know the Lord, He is God, and we no longer know Him as our judge, but as our Father. It is through Christ that we are made God's own people, and Christ is the Good Shepherd who gave His life for the sheep. It is through Christ that we enter into God's heavenly temple with thanksgiving and praise. We, and we listen, we enter past the gates and beyond the courts to the very holy place where God himself reigns from his throne. It is through Christ that we are thankful to God and bless his name for so great a salvation. And it is through Christ that we taste and see that the Lord is good. That we receive His everlasting mercy. And that we know God is trustworthy and true. That's why the reformer Martin Luther has written of this psalm, that this psalm is a prophecy concerning Christ. It calls upon all to rejoice, to triumph, and to give thanks, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts and sanctuary with praise, because by the gospel and the preaching of the remission of sins, that kingdom of Christ is established and strengthened, which shall remain and stand forever. Whereas another reformer, John Calvin, has said of this psalm, that since he invites the whole of the inhabitants of the earth indiscriminately to praise Jehovah, he seems in the spirit of prophecy to refer to the period when the church would be gathered out of different nations. Or finally, maybe a little closer to home, the Baptist theologian John Gill says of this psalm, that indeed the scope of the psalm is to exhort the Gentiles to praise the Messiah, Christ to serve and worship Him from the consideration of His goodness and mercy, truth and fullness. And this then is why we are told with the coming of Christ in Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore, by Him, that is Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. We then are those who continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips, by giving thanks to His name, through Christ. Through Christ. Now, I appreciate the opportunity for us as a nation to celebrate a day of thanksgiving each year. But we can only truly offer thanks to God by believing in Christ. So if you are not able to sing from a fullness of heart, thanking God these truths, Turn away from your sins in repentance and turn to Christ 
in faith, trusting in his death on the cross for sinners like me and like you. Come to Christ and be saved. See, in Christ, every Sunday is a Thanksgiving day. Because we gather together in God's presence to worship him for who he is. And it's through then our worship with thanksgiving that we are then equipped to live lives of gratitude toward God by giving thanks to him in everything. As we continue day by day to live in this world. So as we live lives of thanksgiving, and as we worship God with thanksgiving for who He is, may we also call upon all the earth to join with us. Oh, let us serve the Lord by bringing the gospel to our community and taking the gospel to the nations so they too will hear of this gospel message of salvation in Jesus Christ, trust in his sacrificial death for them, and then also join with us in singing this hundredth psalm with joyful hearts of gladness in God's presence. What a brief but beautiful psalm then God has given to us to sing in Psalm 100. Well, may we do so as those saved by Christ's grace. Let us pray. Father, oh, thank you for giving us this song where we are called into worship and confirm who you are in our worship. as we worship you with thanksgiving. May this psalm be far more than a short five-verse chapter in the book you've given us. May this be an ongoing expression of our hearts of devotion to you with thanksgiving as we offer our sacrifice of worship in Christ before you when our church gathers in worship. Lord, may we worship with thanksgiving because of who you are, which has supremely been revealed to us and given to us in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray these things then in His name. Amen.